It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family. Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing financial advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Call Doug, Linda, and Deborah at their office, 919-872-7000, with your financial planning questions. That's 919 919- Now, here are Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Doug, what's new in the world of investment planning? Maybe you've asked, if I already have a stockbroker, insurance agent, accountant, and attorney, why do I still need a certified financial planner? Basically, there are five important reasons why you need one or five important things a certified financial planner can do for you. Number one, asset allocation and portfolio management. A certified financial planner has the specific training to pull investment assets together into an organized plan to achieve a client's future financial objectives. Two, risk management or insurance coverages. When does one really need to purchase disability, life, property, and casualty insurance? These are all separate issues and a certified financial planner can identify an individual's or a business's immediate and future needs for risk management. Number three, tax planning. A certified financial planner can prepare tax strategies for the oversheltered, the undersheltered, or the pre-retiree when a tax situation becomes complex. Number four, retirement and estate planning. A certified financial planner can perform spreadsheet applications for future retirement planning or have the tax knowledge needed when performing estate tax planning for family heirs. Number five, planning for professionals or small business owners. Should my business be formed as a corporation or as a partnership? How much personal liability is involved in operating my business? Again, a certified financial planner can steer you through business continuity issues or give advice when integrating the finances of the company and the business owner. Other good reasons you might need a certified financial planner? to plan for college costs, gifting strategies for tax relief, planning for nursing home costs for you or your parents. Recent history has established a track record of an unpredictable Wall Street, complex tax laws, and an onslaught of different financial vehicles. A certified financial planner is skilled in identifying an individual's goals and helping develop, implement, and monitor a plan to achieve them. You need a certified financial planner because a financial future is at stake, and it's yours. If you've been wondering about why you need a certified financial planner, I hope my comments have helped. Seek competent financial advice, and if you have any financial questions, call me at 872-7000. That's 872-7000. And remember, your financial future is at stake. I saw another article uh, about managing your finances and learning the ABCs of senior specialists. I think it was a year ago you and I started bringing this to the public's attention, the alphabet soup that's out there, and especially for seniors seeking financial guidance. The string of abbreviations that are 
coming after people's names now on business cards can look very impressive. But uh, FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, just a few months ago in November issued a regulatory notice, an alert, because, you know, you can have all kinds of designations aimed at seniors, chartered advisor for senior living, chartered senior financial planner. They seem very, very uh, impressive. Uh, But the alert that came out by FINRA had some very disturbing news for older investors. And I think the one uh, statement that I liked the most was from Wisconsin Security Administrator. She said there doesn't seem to be very much monitoring by firms about these labels that people use. They're more marketing labels, these initials after people's names. And as an investor, you're really on your own to be avoid to be to avoid being taken for a ride. I think that is the most disturbing part is that if the person's just getting the designation or using the credential or using the designation as a marketing tool, then you're not going to be any more benefited. You're not going to be speaking to someone who is more knowledgeable than perhaps the next person. Well, you know, you take a couple of them, take the, 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 the gold standard, the certified financial planner, which is what I have. And it is, it, it is the highest designation there is, but Compare that to something like the Certified Senior Advisor designation, which is a weekend course with a 150-question multiple-choice answer. I mean, when Massachusetts Secretary of State William Galvin, when he investigated that one, he said, this is really just a plain old marketing tool. And so you have to go ahead and see what is out there now. There's, a, there's an attempt to confuse the public and a lot of our seniors are being hit with this. The best thing to do, as Deborah said earlier, is look for the form ADV. That form ADV, ask for it, have it sent to you, and then you'll know an awful lot more, especially if you know the questions to ask afterwards. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you'd like further information, call us at 919 872 7000 or go to our website. DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Marianne, how can I help you with your money matter this evening? I am one of several recipients of a rather large estate. The executor will have to file with the IRS. All right, and when you say you're the recipient, has someone passed away already, or are you yeah, thinking? Yes, someone passed away about four months ago. All right, so this is a relative of yours that passed away, and the executor is? Is a bank in Arizona. All right. I'm just curious. Uh, They keep saying that it will probably take about two years to settle this estate because when you send in the uh, forms to IRS, which have to be done in nine months, and they're going to wait till nine months, after that they say when they audit, sometimes it takes a year, a year and a half. My question to you is, do you have any idea how we heirs could expedite that? That's a real good question, and I have a sneaking suspicion that it may be possible. My guess would be, and I would not like to be quoted on this, what I'd rather do is have you call me at the office and I will put us in touch with an estate planning attorney. I work with several very closely. How many heirs are there? Well, there are, uh, there are four of us that will get the residual. And, uh, there are four heirs? All right. Uh, well, give me some numbers so I know what we're talking about. Oh, the well, when it gets to us, it won't be very much. The estate's about uh, $1.8 million. All right, so a $1.8 million estate, and are there heavy credit uh, creditors against the estate? There no, there are no, there, it was about 
ten, fifteen thousand dollars worth of bills to pay off, and that's all been done. All right. But the bank is going to take about fifty thousand bucks, and then we don't know what the lawyer's fee will be. Mm-hmm. And then there's one other uh, a gift of a hundred thousand dollars, and everything that's left gets divided four ways. Well, that'd be a very good question that I would like to run by one of the attorneys that we work with and see if a unanimous decision amongst the heirs can change executors. Oh, it's uh, no, that's not my question. It's too late to change executors. We're way into it. If that was to have been done, and I thought of that, I, I thought of writing the judge and asked that my brother be allowed to continue. He had power of attorney for two years to pay all the bills, but it's too late. The bank has got a. It, the bank is in the same state where the the court is. They're not, and we're all from someplace else. I, what I had in mind is there anything we could do about writing directly to the IRS office saying, "Look, you know, is there anything we can do to expedite this audit that they apparently will audit?" And I thought maybe if the four of us said, "Look, you know, let's go with it. We're all close to seventy years old, or some of us are fifty, but most of them are seventy. Yeah, I think there are some things that you can do. Again, I, I'd want to be, I'd want to be using an attorney. This is Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner at Lewis Financial Management. Our number at the office is nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. Call me at nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. So why is the estate being audited? Oh, they just assume that every a state of any size gets audited by the IRS. Well, that's not necessarily true at all. Well, I, I thought the bank is a little... Uh, but I thought maybe if I wrote and this would be the Ogden, Utah branch, I thought maybe I'd just write and ask them to do an immediate audit. Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah, but you've had no experience with that, I think. No, I don't it's think you... a little you'd... bit off of your... I don't. Well, it's not off. It's it's not off my area. I, I, I I'm working in this area all the time, but I'm working with an attorney. Is what I'm saying. We generally we we generally bring an estate planning attorney in who is represent who who who's able to represent himself before the IRS. Oh, and as I see. you see what I'm saying? Ah, maybe that's what the four of us could do. Well, that, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. If you will call me at my office, I, I, I'll see about getting us in in touch with. An attorney who works in this area and who is able to go. You see, you, your attorneys fall into several categories. Number one, you've got estate planning attorneys that simply go ahead and prepare wills and trusts and so forth. They're very uncomfortable dealing in the area of taxes and accounting. Uh-huh. There are other estate attorneys who are also CPAs and are very comfortable in this area, and they like to actually represent you before the IRS. Uh-huh. You see what I'm saying? I see. Well, I didn't know that. That's exactly. Exactly. And the consumer doesn't know, typically, mm-hmm. they're not questions that you ask an attorney, and quite frankly, uh, they're not types of questions that you would ex- be expected to ask. But the attorneys that I like are the ones who are able to go in and work in both areas simultaneously. They know their ways around the IRS. And they also know the estate tax laws. Right. You see what I'm saying? So you, yes, you want somebody who's expert in estates and taxation. Estates and taxation and comfortable dealing with the IRS, exactly. Uh, and has represented ones before the IRS. So, Marianne, if you'd like to call me at the office, I'll go ahead and see about getting us in touch with someone that uh, that I've worked with and that I can feel comfortable recommending to you. Well, I appreciate that very much. You're sure welcome. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. My office number, by the way, is 872 7000. Okay. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for calling, Marianne. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Well, what's new in the world of financial planning, Doug? Well, Linda, there was, I'll interject, there was a really interesting article. 
And, you know, financial planning isn't all about just numbers, right? So true. Um, and some, some, some people have this question thrown at them. Do your finances stress you out? There's a growing number of so-called financial therapists that want to help. And it's due, in part, to the rising popularity of behavioral finance, which is an academic field that holds that people often don't make rational economic decisions. So financial planners are borrowing techniques from psychologists and other specialists in our emotional lives. Their goal? To help clients get in touch with the often messy feelings behind their relationship with money. Well, it's interesting because this article is from the Wall Street Journal, and I kept thinking to myself, goodness, isn't that what Linda and Doug and Deborah have been doing uh, for the last, uh, what, couple, three decades? Yeah, we could spend time tonight unscrambling the confusion, but you're exactly right, Deborah. The so-called financial planners through the last three decades have really been money managers, ones who only deal with the money aspect and managing the money and the behavioral side, the true questions of stress of uh, of how do I handle my inner feelings that has left. Well, it's been not part of what most people who call themselves financial planners have been doing. But on the other hand, Linda, I would say that's 90% of what you have done for the last 25 years, at least at our office, right? Yes, indeed. That's exactly. That sounds familiar. (laughs) That's what I've been doing for years. Yeah, because we've been a team. You've been handling the emotional aspects, the personal side of clients' issues, children, divorce, death, and so forth. I handle the financial, the money aspects and everything. And now Deborah, of course... Doing a little bit of both and a lot of planning and, and a lot of that planning incorporating a lot of this this stuff that they were talking about in the articles is a new thing that advisors are being trained on. And this 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 being advised or, or trained to be able to advise in things that change in people's lives, like through divorce and job loss and other transitions. Well, we've been giving that kind of full, comprehensive I guess, breadth of financial planning for, for decades. And, and that's what makes us, I think, a real success story for, for our clients who have been with us all that time. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call to make an appointment with Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website. DougandLinda.com. We have, we have. The, the article called it a combo approach, becoming a hot topic within the industry. Uh, but there are some of my peers, including myself, that have strong reservations because really to go ahead and take what, uh, I'll give you an example. Some of the new designations that are out there. Okay. Registered life planner now. Hmm. That's a new one. Hmm. You can... People take a two-day workshop, and they are now a registered life planner. Costs $8,000 to take the course, and you now can advertise yourself as a registered life planner. Or certified financial transitionist. You can take a one-day course, and it's going to cost you $7,000, and you can hang out a shingle saying you are a certified financial transitionist. Or another one was the financial therapy certificate, which you can get for $6,800 by taking six courses. 
And and so, <laughs> well, so and then this one, the financial behavior specialist, that one will cost you thirteen dollars, thirteen thousand dollars, thirteen thousand dollars. Excuse me. <laughs> right. And what do you do to get it? You take a three day workshop over a two year training period. The point is that this is what we have been doing at Lewis Financial Management. We have been getting into the transition areas, helping people decide what do I do with divorce. That I'm in the middle of. Well, you know, it's a real testament to those like you, Doug, who were early financial planners, came into this industry, had a vision of how it could be a little bit different than the brokerage world, added to it this whole full-fledged financial planning, comprehensively dealing with someone's situation. And maybe this is now just a tangible result that you need to know more than just money, whether you're the advisor or you're the client. Very good, Deborah. I think you hit a bullseye there because the The individual who goes to uh, Merrill Lynch or Edward Jones or any of the large brokerage firms out there and gets a financial planner and comes away and says, gee, my money is being handled and managed, but nobody asked any questions about me. Or where do I go for now some tax advice? Or what about my estate? Or cash flow planning. Right. Or insurance. And or so, any of these yeah, other so they things. Feel, they feel a gap. And as you say, the gap is being met by this new breed of professional or pseudo-professional, which uh, I'm on the side of, no, what you re- really need is a true certified financial planner who's going to give you all sides of the financial world. So Succinctly said. Very good. And it's true that uh, advisors can improve their listening skills and their awareness of emotional baggage that affects clients' financial decisions, decisions. But the average planner needs to realize his or her limitations. And uh, for comprehensive financial plans and continu- continuing advice, if individuals should make sure that their advisor has extensive experience and holds a major designation, such as being a certified financial planner. This is Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000 to set an appointment with me regarding your financial situation. Call me at 919-872-7000. Well, you know, Doug, Linda, one of the most popular questions that I would say that comes up on a weekly basis is... Should I take my Social Security now or should I wait? Because I keep hearing there's some benefit to waiting. Yeah, you know, the common thought is better to wait because you'll get a big Social Security check. But really, I can think of seven reasons to take Social Security sooner, not later. Yeah, a lot of that popular advice has been just, hey, delay it as long as possible and and then make the check as high as possible. But there really are some real good reasons. Linda, what would be the first reason to take Social Security sooner? Keep cashing those checks. During the three or four decades of your working years, the majority of us will receive a steady paycheck every two weeks for about the same amount as the previous paycheck. So when you're transitioning to retirement, it, is, it inspires enough anxiety, and the thought of giving up that reliable income stream only makes it worse, especially if the alternative is to begin depleting your precious nest egg. So a regular Social Security, and I say regular because it comes every month, and it will not only help the ease of your move into retirement, but it'll help 
you feel more comfortable as you're spending a sustainable amount each month. All right. Now, what you're talking about, Linda, is exactly what we were just talking about. That's the psychological aspect of it. But before we go to the other seven, the other six reasons to take Social Security early. This is Deborah Lewis of Lewis Financial Management. Call us at 919-872-7000 to speak about your situation and to set up an appointment. 919-872-7000. Let's take Brian's call. Brian, this is Doug Lewis. Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planners. Linda Lewis, how can we help you this evening? I've got a question. Uh, for somebody who's a, over 50 and you have the, uh, you have a 401k at work and a Roth 401k, uh, which one do you... And, I, and somebody who maxes out as much money, which is the 22.5 on the retirement side, which one do you, would you say to go into first? Would you go all well, 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 again, uh, I'm going to have to. Uh, yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to have to approach it. Yeah, I'm going to have to approach it, Brian, the same way as we approach it with Jason. There is no sure. one answer for anybody, for everybody. Right. Uh, tell me a little bit. You say you're over fifty. Yeah, fifty-four. You're fifty-four years old, married or yeah. single? Married. Married. Any children at home? No. All right. Uh, both of you working? You and your wife? No, just well, my wife's part time is. All right. So basically, it's a one-income family, but no children. All right. Uh, children, my daughter's in college. All right. Oh, okay. Good. Okay, now let's go over to what you've accumulated on both sides of the equation. All right. What have you accumulated in the 401k so far? In the 401k, the money that I work with has got about close to $225,000. All right. That's in the 401k. Yeah, and, and that's part of the vested money, too. Well, it should be all vested, I would think. Yeah, it's all vested. Yeah, because it's everything that you contribute out of your paycheck is yours, and anything, right. most employers, if they match you, uh, it's yours, too. Good question, Doug. What is the match, Brian? The match was uh, 25 cents up to 4% of your income. All right, and how much are you presently co- contributing? Uh, I am... I'm a commission person, so it fluctuates monthly. But each year, I put in the maximum. All right. right. Let's go over to the non-retirement portfolio. How much is in the non-retirement, non-401k? Um, probably close to 400 grand. All right. So 400000 is invested outside of retirement monies. Yes. All right. Where, how is that money spread? As far as like, what's it in? Was it is it in stocks or bonds or mutual funds or CDs? Mutual funds mainly. I'm sorry. Mutual funds mutual mainly. Fund. Okay, good. All right. So now, and over in the 401k side, how is that spread? It's all mutual funds. Good. All right. So now your question is: Give I us have your no home mortgage. House is paid for. The question. I also have about another four or five hundred grand in a set plan that I funded when I was younger. All right, so you have 400000 in a SEP IRA. No, no. That's, no, I have, on top of the 401k, I have a separate plan. It's convoluted. All right. Well, let me say this. Here's what you should do. Okay. So, if the yeah, was the question 401k versus Roth 401k? Yes. Okay. All right. It's the okay. same plan. Okay. All right. Don't. Should I fund everything in the 401k and take the tax benefit? No. 
No. Okay. You do not want to go ahead and let the tax tail wag the dog. The dog needs oh, to whack. Okay. The dog needs to whack the tail. The tail doesn't wag the dog. <laughs> That's Don't. a great statement, isn't it, Brian? <laughs> yeah. I mean, now, now, it just, I mean, the light just went on like boom. If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. All right. Yay. Here's what you need to do. I max out the 401 side of it, I mean, the raw side of it, then the uh, 401k, and just up to 4% on the 401k side. No, that's wrong, too. Okay. All right. You're too old. You're too old to get what you need as benefit from the from the Roth. You need to do the pay yourself first over into the personal side. And here's why. Okay. If I if I add up the four hundred that you've got and the two twenty-five. Yep. And did you say there's anything else in investments besides that six hundred and twenty-five thousand? No. Okay. So you're at six hundred and twenty-five thousand accumulated capital base right now, and you're you're fifty-four, which is a very crucial age because you're too old for the benefit of a for, of a of a Roth and you're too young to think about social security, and yet you are moving rapidly into what we call financial independence to be able to possibly retire or become financially independent before age 59 and a half. Okay. And that is crucial because if you can achieve enough accumulation, and this is what we do in our office, this is why what we've been doing for 30 years, we've been targeting clients to get there early so that you have the choice. And let's say you're 58 years old, Four years from now, when you can when when you've made it, at that time, the last thing you want to do is to go ahead and say, "Oh, I think I'll start taking income from my 401k that you're going to roll over into an IRA because you'll face the tax penalty of right. ordinary income, state income plus 10% penalty tax." Then you're going to want to have the maximum over in the personal portfolio. And the question that you might ask is, well, why would I not be putting it into the Roth IRA? Because it has no real ability to be blended with the personal portfolio for safety, for diversification, for asset allocation, all the things that we want to do. And to, and to see growth, because in addition to that, when he was when Doug was saying, don't let the tax tail wag the dog, you have to think all the dollars that come out of retirement accounts are going to be coming out at ordinary income. Correct. If you have an ability to accumulate, let's say over the next four, eight, 12 years, enough in a portfolio to where your blended amount of money is coming from your retirement account and your non-retirement account actually have less of a tax strike against it then you want to do it. You want to maximize that. Let me ask you a question. If you were to ask yourself, of course, you're in a feast or famine profession. Uh, that's what commission-based is. We call it feast or famine. One, right. one month you're famine, you're, you're famine, next month you're feasting. But by, right. the, en- by the end of the year, yeah. how much are you? have you been able to add to the two portfolios combined at, uh, above Okay. What's your projected income? Well, he's already given us that two twenty five. Oh. No, ninety. No, that Oh, I'm sorry, ninety thousand. No, no. no. Oh, we never no, got that. We never got the income. Okay. <laughs> All right. So back to the question, how much of your projected income will you be able to set aside by the time the year is ended? 
easily half. Okay, hundred thousand. Yeah, probably. Then All 75 right. of it needs to be in the personal portfolio, which means, you know, and six to eight thousand per month. And or by per I guess by paycheck. If you're if you're commission based, it would be every time you have a check, have it come in and be a percentage of. Okay. We we do it on what we call a pay yourself first basis. And that's my right. point. If you go ahead. Uh, and again, I'll tell you the same question that we told Jason. Write down our phone number. I don't know if you heard it. The phone number at the office. 919-872-7000. It's USA 7000. Mm-hmm. And go to our website. You will see the three of us in action because we have videos there that you can get to know us face to face. And schedule an appointment to meet with us. And we will go ahead and show you using a pay yourself first accumulation method. Not only what the dollars will be but what investments specifically you should have. In other words, how to divide that. We will analyze each of your mutual funds on both sides of the equation, and then we'll tell you what we think you should do and how you have the highest probability of achieving it. And I want to commend you, um, Brian, for accumulating because your diligence over time, you know, working hard uh, through good times and bad, and because of your habit of just, you know, Contributing to the retirement, contributing to your personal side, and being able to sort all of this out and have direction because the next step after working is retirement, right? So you're in the pre-retirement stage. But like Deborah was saying, we would like to see you maximize what you're doing and be in the direction that you should be so that you can forecast financial independence in the future. Sounds great. All right. Well, thank you so much for calling, Brian. I think we probably should have just put a little tagline of explaining what we meant about not letting the tax tail wag the dog with regard to the Roth. Yes. Uh, The Roth IRA, and a lot of companies are really putting this as an option. There's nothing wrong with it for people who have a really hard time saving money. And the benefit, the only benefit that I see is... If I don't see it, I can't spend it. Yes. But the tax benefit doesn't come into play initially because what you're doing is you're you're contributing you're after you pay taxes. You pay those taxes ahead right. of time. And, and the incentive there is if you're very young, under 40, it's going to make sense. You're, that after-tax dollar left invested for 20 to 30 years will now be going tax deferred and will come out with taxes already paid on it. It's cash. The part that comes out tax free is not on your first part because you already paid part. That's right. It's the growth. <laughs> That's right. And, but when, and you're for 50, gr- yeah, when you're 54 years right. old, you don't have time to go in. Right. And, and Theoretically, you have four years for growth to happen. It's never going to happen. It's not going to be worth it. And don't waste it. So what we have done in our office, we have run analyses repeatedly, and we've come to the conclusion, if you are over 40, don't contribute to a Roth. If you are under 40, yes, then you'll have the the years. And it's always balanced by that. If the capacity to save is there, then absolutely do it just outside of a retirement account. Own it outright. There's a whole other 
side to investing the personal portfolio. This is Deborah Lewis. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. But Doug, Linda, uh, let's go back to our seven reasons that we had come up with as to why you might want to take Social Security sooner versus waiting till later. So initially we said Keep cashing those checks. In other words, that's a psychological reason. You were used to getting a paycheck. Now, continue getting continue a paycheck. Getting a paycheck <laughs> even though it's a smaller one than waiting. But the second one that I can think of is the question of, well, what about the penalty for working and collecting? Now, here, most people are aware of the fact that if you collect Social Security before your full retirement age, they call that the FRA, then there's a certain level of other income that you can earn that's going to reduce the Social Security checks. But the reduction isn't as bad as it might seem. Now, we have to note that the reduction only applies to the recipient's earnings. A lot of people don't know that. That's right. Yeah, it does not refer to your spouse's pay. So it's just earned income. So she can earn 100000 a year if you, and you can go ahead and take start, that, take your start taking your Social Security age 62. Another thing that most people don't realize is that formula is only earned income. You can earn an unlimited amount of interest income, capital gains income, pension payments, IRA distributions. None of that goes into that. So I don't think we need to worry about the penalty in Jane Broadstrokes. Now we have right. specific now, situations in right, our office. Right. That we, but that's so the these, second reason that I can think of why you might want to take it earlier. Yeah. Uh, a third reason might be this thing that we often hear, Doug, you and I in meetings. Well, what about this 8% if I wait? What about this 8% gain? Well, many proponent, proponents of waiting to take Social Security point out that recipients receive an 8% increase in their check for every year that they delay. For instance, if a beneficiary could get $2,000 per month at age 65, if they waited until they, turning, age, turning age 66, they would give... Uh, they would get a check of twenty one sixty per month. Yeah, you so, often hear this eight percent, and you perceive that oh, the actual return provided by waiting is eight percent. But by waiting one year to get Social Security checks, what happens? You miss out on a year's worth of slightly smaller payments. So yeah. the actual net gain by waiting depends on a lot of factors, including your lifespan, inflation, and investment performance. It is not a simple. Uh, 8% more every time I wait. So that's the third reason you want to take it early. Yeah, the fourth reason, you just don't know when you're going to die. The hypothetical return on delaying benefits rises and falls with your life expectancy. As a rule of thumb, the break-even age for waiting is usually around 80 years old. So, in other words, if you are going to you know, live past 80, and if there was some way to know that, then hey, <laughs> you'd make it, you'd win. <laughs> but really, most of us have more stories than, than not that we have seen friends, co-workers, family members die well before reaching 80. So, you might be skeptical about living that long, especially... If you, um, you know, let's say you've already had a serious health issue, you know, trying to wait out for some sort of a uh, 8% gain would, might just be a, a bigger loss. Yeah, so we've had four reasons so far to take your Social Security check earlier. Linda, how about a fifth one? 
All right. I'm going to tell you the fifth one, but I'm going to also announce if you have a question and you'd like to schedule an appointment, call us at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. We'll schedule an appointment with you. And when you come, you'll receive one of three books, Wealthy Barber, Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth, or The Middle Class Millionaire. And visit our website at DougAndLinda.com. All right, so the fourth reason is... Fifth. The fifth reason is Social Security saves on taxes. So a dollar withdrawn from an IRA account is taxed as ordinary income. And the more money that's withdrawn, the higher the income tax rate will be for you. But... Retirement income from Social Security is initially tax-free. And even if you have enough income to eventually make the Social Security payments taxable, only 50% or 85% of the payments will be taxable, depending on your total income and your marital status. So that means that when you receive a dollar in Social Security payments, your tax bill will be the same as if you were to receive 85 cents, 50 cents, or nothing from your IRA. Powerful reason, the fifth one. Powerful reason. Sixth reason I can think of is, I don't know, I hate to say it this way, it sounds a little crude, but get it when you can. The Social Security Administration trustees estimate that the program's current surplus could be exhausted in 20 years. Those who are eligible for Social Security might want to take their slightly reduced benefits today rather than waiting years to receive a check that could be reduced if the Social Security runs out. You know, that's a really good reason. And the last one is probably my favorite. Preserve funds for the future. When you live off of liquid assets, instead of tapping Social Security, you're giving up the use of the spent dollars forever. That money might otherwise come in handy for an unforeseen, uncovered family medical emergency or some other negative or positive event that requires a larger sum. So definitely lots to think about, lots of reasons to come see us as certified financial planners to find out what your particular individual situation might need and what kind of timing you might have for taking Social Security. This is Deborah Lewis of Lewis Financial Management. Call us at 919-872-7000 to set up an appointment to speak about your situation. 919-872-7000. Well, another topic of concern for many people is what do I do as an executor if I've been named as an executor? And I found an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal um, this month, earlier this month, and it was in regard to some of the biggest mistakes that estate executors can make and some of the cautions of what you should know um, you will be responsible for because settling an estate is often a thankless task. Uh, Here are a few of the um, things to avoid and some of the most common pitfalls. Serving as an estate executor isn't for the faint of heart. When people make out their wills, they typically name a trusted person as their executor, who then has a legal responsibility to distribute their property according to the wishes of the deceased and make sure that all the debts and creditors are paid. Here are some of the biggest mistakes executors want to avoid. Paying the bills too quickly. Often an executor will start receiving the deceased's mail and paying credit card bills and other invoices as they arrive. In truth, such bills are well down the list of priorities for payment. 
Paying these debts before all other classes is actually a breach of fiduciary duty and potentially exposes the executor to personal liability. One estate that carried a significant federal income tax liability, the executor knew nothing about this rule. And once the tax bill became known, there wasn't enough money left in the estate to pay it since the executor had first paid the other debts. Before paying any creditors, executors should consult with a trust and estate attorney to understand the priority of payments. This is serious. Even after setting aside sufficient estate assets to satisfy the highest priority creditors, executors should consider satisfying all other debts and creditors only after the entire estate administration has been completed and all tax returns filed and taxes paid. Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000, 919-872-7000. Other mistakes that executors can make. Again, playing the market. Some executors are tempted to invest the estate's assets in an attempt to increase the value of the estate during the settlement process. This can be a risky tactic. It's especially risky when an estate plan calls for giving a trust or individual a pecuniary amount, which is a precise amount based upon the value of the assets reported on the estate tax return. This specific amount must be distributed to the trust or individual regardless of fluctuations in the value of assets before funding. Many examples of how people made that mistake. I think I can make a little money before I have to give it out. And what do you know? Something happens and they can't. So don't play the market during the estate settlement process. Much too risky. Another no-no is mishandling real estate. Real estate is often one of the hardest assets to administer. One beneficiary may be living in the house while another might want it sold quickly. This frequently comes up when we have adult children Let's say the mom and dad die and there are three children and one is doing is less financially off than the other two and they might very quickly want their portion of the of the estate for need or necessity. So this this comes up frequently. Unless amicable decisions can be reached among all of the beneficiaries, the executor may be forced to seek probate court assistance. Executors also should be careful not to hold on to the house for too long. Executors should maintain the homeowner's insurance on the decedent's house in case of fire or accident. So manage it, mishandling real estate, another thing that can really catch you off guard as an executor. How about losing tangible assets? It's the executor's responsibility to keep the assets safe while arrangements are made to distribute them according to the decedent's plan. Executors who... There was, there was an example in the article, an executor who was a family friend of the deceased and didn't realize the son was helping himself to his late father's work of art, works of art and value, valuable items while the estate was being settled, got in big trouble. This was because the executor should have immediately taken an inventory of the assets and arranged to appraise them and securely store them until the art, uh, secure the art until it was ready to be distributed. And this is because it was meant to go to the museum. And instead, the son had been taking it thinking it was part of his inheritance. One 
other piece of advice, don't succumb to family pressure to make distributions too soon. It may result in insufficient assets to pay off creditors. Money has a habit of changing the attitudes of a lot of people. But an executor's job isn't simply to distribute wealth. So while it's a unfortunate position when a loved one dies that we are in, we have to take this responsibility um, very seriously and know what our responsibility is. Many times people will hire an estate planning attorney to get involved just because Although you can file and do some things do-it-yourself style, there are several items that might be bigger than you even want to deal with. If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Well, Chris, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Yeah, I have a question. I'm in the process of buying a house and I'm trying to decide what type of um, what type of term to go with. Uh-huh. And people have told me in the past that if you go with a 30-year loan and if you make an extra payment towards the principal each year, that you would in turn almost pay it off in the same amount of time that you would on a 15-year loan. Uh-huh. Is any of this true or... Well, it may be true and it may be irre- it may be not true, but in either case, it's irrelevant. It's not part of the equation that you're concerned about. First of all, if you end up 15 years from now with a house with no mortgage and the inability to buy any food to live in the house, would you be happy just having a house paid off and no groceries? No, no, of course not. Okay. So the goal isn't to see how fast you can have a house with no mortgage on it. The goal is to see how soon you can achieve what's called financial independence. How old are you, Chris? 33. 33 years old. Generally, a 30-year on uh, will give you a greater tax savings than a 15-year mortgage, okay. because the percentage of your paycheck of your payment to the bank is going to be bigger on the 30-year mortgage than on the 15-year mortgage, okay. and that means that more of your payment will be refunded to you in the way of a deduction on Schedule A on your tax return, which basically means that you have more money to invest towards financial independence. Now, if a person doesn't choose to start investing, then they're out of this equation totally because it only works if you're going to be accumulating what you save. If you go ahead and take a 30-year loan, then you are stretching your payments 15 years longer, yes, but your goal should be to accumulate the difference that you're not paying in your mor- in your mortgage payments, that money should be directed into an accumulation vehicle like a mutual fund. Okay. So that at the end of 15 years, and when we run these numbers in my office, we very often see because of the power of compound rate of return, at the end of 15 years of investments, you may be only halfway through your mortgage or maybe even less. But for example, how much is the mortgage you're going to take out? The loan is 113 All right, so your goal should be at the end of 15 years to be able to have maybe 200 or 300,000 accumulated, have your house still halfway through your mortgage, then you can write a check for the remainder on the mortgage. Let's say you have still 60,000 left to pay on your mortgage. If you've got $250,000 accumulated, you write a check for $60,000, you pay off the mortgage, and maybe you've got 170 or 180 or 190 left in cash, plus you still have the home paid off. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh-huh, sure do. That's the power of the compound rate of return because the 15-year mortgage will only go down at a simple rate of return. Okay. 
Uh, also, you will get a better tax relief along the way. So at your age, you want a 30-year amortization rather than a 15-year. Oh, I certainly appreciate it. Jot down my office number. It's 872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. And some people remember that as just USA 7000. All right, great. Thank you for calling. Thank you. Another huge question or group of people that come in with a typical question are the, the people who are um, accumulating, still accumulating their wealth. And there's been a big IRA shift, Doug, Linda. There really has. Because think about how many times when people come in for that first appointment and they ask us, one of the, the one of their most pressing questions is, should I, in addition to participating in my 401k, should I also have a Roth IRA? Because while you may not be able to do a, a a traditional IRA, or maybe even in addition to a traditional IRA. But this question comes up over and over again. And I saw some statistics in Financial Planning Magazine that were talking about uh, this very question, about how it's become very surprising that eight times as much money is in Roth IRAs than traditional IRAs. And this trend reflects in part the reality of younger workers uh, recognizing that uh, while their paychecks and their might be low, lower than they might be later on, or their taxes might be lower right now. There's a widespread interest in savings, and the Roth has become a great way to save. And in addition, they were talking about how while you you realize when you invest in a Roth that you're going to forego the tax deductions, uh, to receive that money later in retirement tax-free can be very appealing. And a lot of people are talking about Roths, so a lot of people are asking this question when they come in. But Doug, the bottom line about this whole topic is always so many people know of a Roth, but they don't know how to invest in a Roth. And I guess I'm saying that badly. They know they can open up a Roth account, but they may not know what they can invest in once they have that Roth account open. So it's a two-part question. It really is. One is, should you invest in a Roth IRA? Many people come in and I tell them, no, you should not invest in a Roth IRA at all. I usually draw the line at age 40. Right. If you are over 40, you should not be investing in a Roth but you should be investing. Uh-huh. And if you're under 40, then yes, because Roths make sense only if they have enough years to accumulate because that's where the real uh, tax benefit comes in, enough years of accumulation. But then the more important question, as you just said, is the second part to the question, where should the investment be? The Roth is simply simply like a chicken house that holds chickens. It's not the chicken. It's just the container. It's the container. And there we need to go ahead and pick different mutual funds according to the overall asset allocation of the entire client's portfolio, which would be his Roth IRA, his 401k, his personal portfolio, where his pay yourself first plan is going into every month, and the whole thing together. But... The the more important question, as you just indicated, is what is the investment? And I think this is where people really fail. Sometimes they think that all they can invest in is a CD or or, or a bond oh. mutual fund or something that needs to be, quote unquote, uh, safer than other areas. And I think this is where people really miss out. The whole point in it is to be as aggressive because if used properly, it's not going to be touched for 20 years if you're under 40. That is an outstanding point, Deborah. If you're going to be investing using the Roth IRA vehicle, 
which means you're under age 40, then you need to pick a very aggressive type of mutual fund. A CD would be the worst investment, in my opinion, that a person under 40 would have putting it into a Roth IRA. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Deborah Lewis. Call 919 872 7000 to set an appointment with me regarding your financial situation. Call me at 919-872-7000. One of our favorite writers uh, got asked a question about uh, advice for investors looking to consolidate multiple IRAs. And the question said from the reader, over the years, I've opened IRAs at various banks, depending on which one was offering the highest yielding CD. It's gotten a bit out of control as I'm nearing age 70 and a half. And I'm thinking I should consolidate these as they mature. I think I have about 25 to 30 IRAs at over 10 banks. And I'm not sure of the maturity dates or the yields as I have just left them to renew automatically. Do you think just selecting one bank to hold what would eventually be another large CD makes sense? My plan would be to have a check sent to me at the various CDs of the, as the various CDs mature and then deposit the check into my IRA at the selected bank. I realize I'd need to make sure and deposit the check within 60 days of receipt, but I don't think that would be a problem if I select a local bank allowing me to just bring the check directly to them upon receipt. My big concern with my plan is not having the FDIC insurance if my account value goes over the limit, $250,000. If I select a well-known bank, should this be a concern? Overall, do you think my plan makes sense? Well, of course, the plan to consolidate the IRAs makes an awful lot of sense. As a matter of fact, it's crucial. Uh, I don't like the whole idea of using CDs. That's not the reason. But we have a bigger problem if the writer doesn't consolidate, and that is a 50% tax penalty based on the uh, age 70 and a half minimum. You know, the Internal Revenue Service doesn't just give you a penalty on one IRA if you have 10 of them. Right. They want you to go ahead and, and, and use a formula which says the sum of all of my retirement accounts is on the bottom and the top is my withdrawal amount and that's my RMD. And if that withdrawal doesn't get taken out, they don't care if it comes from one IRA or 10, but you've got to get it out based on all of them. Then you get hit on a 50, with a 50% tax penalty. So you should always have only one IRA custodian. Now, the whole other part of the question about CDs and banks and, and, uh, and FDIC insurance, that's sort of a nonsense type of issue. I think the most crucial thing is that the writer should meet with a certified financial planner Definitely consolidate using one custodian. Yes. And my advice would be use a custodian that has no products. Use a custodian that is not linked to any products for the IRA and let you go ahead and then choose whatever mutual funds you want or whatever investments you want as part of the whole overall portfolio. Right. Yeah, that's the way that I would approach the issue. And most folks, Doug, at that stage and age of life, uh, really want to simplify. And, you know, basically in his question, he said it really got 
out of control. Right. Going to so many banks. Well, it's going to only get more out of control if you, if she's 71 or he's 71 now. 10 years from now, that's 81. Uh, life doesn't get simpler as you get older. You need to go ahead and have it in a simple format. You certainly do. Well, here we are facing a new week. We hope that everyone will have a wonderful week. And we look forward to your calls at Lewis Financial Management. Call us at 919-872-7000. And you can also go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. DougAndLinda.com. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. You can listen to our podcast online at WPTF.com. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's USA. 7,000. Listen again next Saturday and Sunday at 5 p.m. for Money Matters with the Lewises on 680 WPTF.